Hi, everyone. I'm Jeff Hunt, your host of Human Capital. And of course, my day job is CEO of Goldspan. I love the opportunity on each show to explore the deeply human aspect of work. Today, we're going to talk about employee experience and well-being. In March of 2022, CNBC published an article showing that the Great Resignation is continuing, with 44% of workers in the U.S. looking for a new job. Let's just pause there for a second because that number is staggering. It equates to roughly 69 million people being job seekers. Why are so many people wanting a change? The reality is that this is being fueled by employees looking for companies that better support employee experience and well-being. When organizations don't support employees in these key areas they want to leave, it's easy for leaders to ignore experience and well-being when times are good and turnover is low. But when people have quit and turnover is high, it causes all kinds of problems with the remaining employees, including burnout, anxiety, mistakes, low morale, and on and on. Today, my guest and I are going to dive deep into this important topic. Gene Meister is the founder and managing partner at the Future Workplace Academy. She is also an executive vice president at Executive Networks and is a regular contributor to Harvard Business Review and Forbes. Jean is the best-selling author of three books, The Future Workplace Experience, Corporate Universities, and The 2020 Workplace. Welcome, Jean. Thank you for having me, Jeff. It's a pleasure. It's an honor to welcome you onto the show today. And I know that you're passionate about this topic, so I think we're going to have a great conversation. <laughs> yes, I'm really looking forward to it. I'd like to start with you giving our listeners a thumbnail of your career journey. And Jean, can you also share with us who inspired you most along the way? Ah, okay. My career journey uh, is eclectic. I think that's the best way to, to phrase it. Um, I've had both a corporate career and uh, a, a, an entrepreneurial career, and now I'm part of a, a company having just sold Future Workplace to Executive Networks. So Jeff, as you said, I'm the author of three books. I wrote the first book on corporate universities, started a company, uh, and then sold that and quickly joined Accenture, working on outsourcing corporate universities. So in my company, I focused on launching corporate universities and at Accenture, I focused on outsourcing corporate universities. And then I, uh, with another, with a co-author, I wrote The 2020 Workplace, which has been the book that's really been the international bestseller translated into several languages. We were really first in looking at the generational differences and coined the five generations at work and then started Future Workplace, and I was fortunate enough to sell that in fourth quarter of 2021 to Executive Networks, um, the leading HR peer network company for the Global 1000. So that, that takes you currently to today. What inspired me is really my mom. My mom uh, was a, a nurse in the emergency room at Yale New Haven Hospital and um, really, really hard worker, but really put family first and really understood how important it was to have work-life integration. 
you know, in spite of the fact of, of working the 11 to seven shift in, in OR. So I feel very fortunate to have had her as a, as a wonderful role model. Wow, it sounds like she was an incredibly hard worker, but somebody who you could really look up to. Yes, absolutely. Jean, let's jump into the topic. And I wanna start just by asking you what does the current research say about workplace well-being? Well, I'm so glad we're starting here because I have really current information. We are doing monthly surveys on the topic of employee experience and well-being, and these are being sponsored by Paychecks. And we're um, really out there in the marketplace with 600 workers. So one of the big surprises has been that now workplace well-being is no longer just a perk. It's something that's expected and demanded of workers. In fact, we found that six out of 10 workers in North America are now evaluating the quality of an employer's well-being benefits as one of the newest criteria in either staying with their current employer or switching jobs. So this has direct implication as a way to stem what you said, um, Jeff, was the amazing numbers that we're all looking at for the great resignation. Take a minute, Jean, just to define well-being because some people define it differently. And I want to make sure we're speaking a common language. Absolutely. I've written a couple articles in Forbes on on well-being, and I define it in a really holistic way. It has five components. Financial well-being, really feeling secure about your overall financial wellness, your financial literacy, and of course, compensation and retirement benefits. Emotional well-being, which is really access to an EAP plan, access to mental health benefits, mental health apps, and importantly, a manager who cares, right, and leads with empathy. Physical well-being, actually, this was really goes back to probably 15 years now with Fitbit, but really employers focusing on physical wellness. And and, uh, now I think physical well-being also implies workplace safety, right? The whole focus on working in um, a safe and sanitized workplace. Social well-being really uh, speaks to company culture and work-life balance. And sort of remember that question we all were faced with, do you have a best friend at work, right? And so that that becomes even more complicated in light of the fact that so many of us are working either hybrid or remote. So how do you keep up those personal relationships with your team? And finally, and I think very importantly, is career well-being access to training and development, access to internal talent mobility. We've seen an explosion of companies that are adopting and branding internal mobility platforms, um, not to mention uh, tuition reimbursement and companies funding, not just institute funding uh, courses through higher education, but also through MOOCs and our own Future Workplace Academy. 
you're describing such a holistic approach to supporting the employee. And that feels so dramatically different from 20, 10, even five years ago, wouldn't you say? I think absolutely. I think the pandemic, as we've said, has become the great accelerator of future of work trends. And I think it really starts with well-being. I mean, we were really thinking of this even five years ago, Jeff, as a perk, you know, standing desks, as we were talking about, right? And nap rooms and, you know, uh, access to Fitbits. And it's so much more now. And it really looks at the whole person. And I think one of the other innovations is that companies are starting to realize that employees live in a family unit that also impacts their overall well-being. So what we're seeing is companies expanding the individual well-being benefits to the family unit as a whole. That makes perfect sense. And it also easily makes the correlation to people having a desire to leave and or seek out organizations that are really delivering the goods in this area because they want to be cared for much more so, you know, as a person than just a producer, right? Yeah. And they, and they want to know that companies are creating a culture of care. I think overall that their leader, their manager, their team leader, leads with empathy and does create a culture of care. So, you know, what we're seeing is, is companies in, during the pandemic, when, when working parents had to also manage homeschooling, we saw Hewlett Packard taking a lead here and forming a network of substitute teachers so that they could assist their employees on how to manage homeschooling because you know, your job was tough enough switching from in-person to your home office and now to have that other added responsibility. Um, and we're also seeing companies take leads in, in showing and making available all sorts of opportunities for community involvement. So that again, it's this focus on the whole being that, we, you know, we have our workforce, which produces for us, but they do other things as well, right? They're at soccer games, they're volunteering with their, with their churches or synagogues, and how can we embrace the whole person and get them involved and help them to be more involved in their local communities? And by the way, if we do that really well, they become excellent brand ambassadors for our companies, don't they? Absolutely. And, and sharing, you know, that's why we're seeing the net promoter scores um, being especially important inside companies, right? That started, that started, you know, with products and services from a marketing angle. And now HR has adopted it to understand how can, how can we help our employees be better sources of referral for new uh, workers. Exactly. Yeah. My company, Goalspan, actually just implemented an employee net promoter template within our survey module. So I think more and more organizations are really paying attention to that data because of the impact, the strategic impact it can have in so many ways. So 
Yeah, so I'm curious, Gene, about the the listener who may be at a company that has a less evolved strategy in the area of well-being. What would you say the recommendation is to get started? What are some of the strategies that they can implement to ensure that they are living out the value of employee well-being? Well, I think they should start by embarking on doing deep listening and surveying of their workforce uh, and segmenting their surveys, which are now pulse surveys on monthly or quarterly basis by generation, by whether someone is a working parent and has children at home, right? And, you know, by geography, if they're working in the United States or, or globally, what we have found is there are, there are differences of what workers want in terms of well-being. And so on the area of, of differences by generation, we found that Gen X, you know, often called the sandwich generation, right? That they're dealing with both children still at home and juggling aging parents. Their their biggest issue is financial well-being, not surprisingly, right? They have a lot on their plate and they're very keen to understand their employer's suite of financial well-being benefits, including not only compensation and retirement, but access to financial education and financial wellness, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of millennials and the younger generation, they're most interested in what what their employer is doing for mental well-being. They're feeling very isolated, right? You know, just think of back when you were 25 or 28, you wanted to be where the action was, right? And you don't want to really work from home every day. So the younger generations are anxious to take advantage of mentoring and coaching and, you know, how to grow their careers. And they see the best way to do that is by having more in-person experiences in the workplace. So I think I think that group is really, that's our future workforce, right? The, the younger workers and they're most vulnerable. And I would say Gen Z is, uh, is the work, is the segment that is really looking around for new opportunities you know, not as loyal as the other generations and feeling the most isolated if they're still primarily working out of the uh, home office. Are you suggesting that organizations should adjust their strategies based on these generational aspects? So in other words, should should I cut do a mass customization, if you will? Should I customize my approach to well-being? based on these factors you described? Well, I do think, yes, I do think well-being is not one size fits all, right? And and we do know that five, six years ago, a lot of major employers were coming out with student loan repayment programs, right? Clearly directed to millennials who were joining the workforce at that time with large debts, and this was a, a was a acquisition and retention play for a lot of employers like Fidelity and PwC as two of the biggest and early adopters to this. Um, but I think once an employer 
really makes a commitment to a, to really focusing on the whole person. Then the next step is, well, what does this whole person really want from well-being benefits and how does that segment by generation and by their lifestyle status, right? Are they single? Are they a working parent? I think what we're also starting to see is working parents are exiting the workforce on and looking at how to better integrate work with the rest of their lives, right? So that's why I having embarking on this deep listening with your employees to understand what they want and how that differs by generation is going to shape your well-being strategy. And I think it's especially important, as we said at the top of this podcast, with the great resignation, and we've seen 62% are looking at the quality of well-being benefits as a criteria and whether to stay or whether to jump and look for a new job. What would you say, you, you mentioned the pandemic and its impact, but how do you see the approach to employee well-being changing as we are now emerging from the pandemic? I think it will um, no longer be voluntary or a perk. And I think it will be communicated as one of the pillars of an employer value proposition, right? It will be, employers will look at this as this is the way to stem the great resignation. I think the other, um, some other research points we're seeing is that when you research people that have switched jobs, um, and workers are now starting to say that they would take a pay cut if, uh, if their new employer offered them better work-life balance. And that pay cut, you know, averages out to be about 10%. Now, where the you know definitely the pendulum has swung with the great resignation, and talent is having a major say in not only where they work but how they want to work, right? And so, I that's I think that communicating this as part of the employer value proposition and understanding its importance across the um, segment of workers is important. The other piece of research we just launched in, in um, March was called the New Hybrid Workplace. And, that, and there we looked at, we took a, a microscope, if you will, on, on individuals that work hybrid. And those are maybe two, three days out of the office, but and they go into the office the other couple of days. And what we've seen there is that group is sort of very uncertain on how to be successful working as a hybrid worker. And their biggest fear is career advancement. While they love the flexibility and the choice of working in a hybrid work model, their fear is um, career advancement. In fact, 32% of these workers say they prefer hybrid work environment, but 43% view in-person working as the best for their individual career advancement. So that's something em every employer has to get their 
hands around, right? So going back to the listening tour and the listening surveys, I would segment the workforce by how they work. Are they primarily in the office? Are they hybrid? Are they remote? And what, you know, what are they looking for so that they can have an optimal employee experience with your organization? Speaking of employee experience, let's let's talk more specifically about that because there's this intertwining with well-being and experience. And this is another area where people might define it slightly differently from each other, but what's your definition of employee experience? Yeah, so mine is the sum total of all the experiences an employee has with their employer over the duration of that relationship from onboarding through working with the employer all the way through exiting the employer, right? It's the whole journey of working with your employer. And in the Future Workplace book, I had a really interesting one-liner, which is which goes something around the last best experience any of us have, including you and I, has anywhere becomes the minimum expectation for all the experiences we want, especially in the workplace. So if you just reflect on that, and we do all sorts of exercises on, you know, think of your last best experience you've had. And when people reflect on that, of course, they think of, you know, those seamless experiences they have with Netflix, right? That sort of knows exactly what you want to watch next, right? And it's personalized. But then they also think about the experiences that they've had that have surprised them, where someone, you know, an organization has gone above and beyond in satisfying their expectations and exceeding their expectations. So I think the bar on experiences has really been raised um, through our just how we live our lives online now. And we now live in the experience economy where every experience we have becomes what we're looking for in our next experience. That's such a great reference because basically what you're saying is that an employee's uh, best experience becomes the standard for everything else, which ultimately makes the organization better because they are needing to focus on every aspect of how they are interacting with the employee. And this could be in the area of technology. It could be in the area of communication and strategy. It could be how they're communicating purpose and a well-defined vision, uh, inclusion. Wouldn't you say all of these things sort of fall into that bucket? Absolutely. And, you know, this bar is, and, and I think it, it's a good thing for everyone that's working. And it's a really good thing for organizations because it's forcing them to, you know, to understand what their workers want. And really they're putting a consumer mindset on a consumer mindset lens on the organization. How do we meet and exceed the expectations for any type of experience our 
workers want with us. And what do we know that's pretty evident right now is that if a worker isn't getting that type of experience that they want and need, they're just going to leave. Yes, exactly. And it reminds me too of the feedback that is required to understand your level of employee experience. How are you doing as an organization? And what you mentioned earlier about soliciting that feedback, but then also the importance of acting on it because organizations that survey and they don't do anything with the data end up with potentially a worse problem than they would have had otherwise, right? Absolutely. Be aware of what you ask for <laughs> because you will be held accountable. Right. It's, it's like the manager going to his, team, his or her team and saying, I really want you to give me feedback. And then his entire, her entire team says, you really need to work on your presentation skills. And then he or she doesn't do anything about that. <laughs> it's like it ends up being a, a demotivator to provide additional feedback. So, well, as you look beyond 2022, what ways do you see HR tech reshaping business? Um, I saw that question and, and I think it's a really fascinating one. And, and I think that the one we, we did another survey um, sponsored by GP Strategies, which looks which really looked at all the how tech was shaping the, the learning experience, right? What what I think is is huge has been the use of virtual reality. Virtual reality started out in the org in organizations focused on safety right? And, you know, the big oil companies were using it, was being used in manufacturing settings. But the, you know, the big wave now has really been on soft skills training. And, and I wrote an interesting article for Harvard Business on how companies are using VR to develop soft skills training. So, you know, skills which are called power skills, skills in handling difficult conversations, DE&I, empathy, um, even, you know, practicing giving presentations, right? So there's a whole range of soft skills where you can, can grow your suite of these skills using virtual reality. So I think that we're going to see a lot more of that. And when we asked our series of questions in this recent survey that came out in fourth quarter of last year, we found that two thirds of, of very senior learning leaders either were piloting it or were looking to pilot VR for, for all types of soft skills training. So I think we're going to see more of that. And I think we're going to see more of that because companies are, are not so dependent on a headset now. You can deliver this with an avatar over a computer. Yeah, it's remarkable. And it seems to be creating an entirely new sector, tech sector, that will deliver this transformational learning in a efficient and very tailored way. Um, so I think it's a, it's a very exciting space that we're moving into. I also would let all of our listeners know, we actually did an episode last summer in July of 2021 with Myra Laldine, who's the CEO of a, of a VR company by the name of Vector. 
and sh their concept is actually bias unconscious bias training in the workplace so they are putting you into these circumstances where somebody is uh giving you a, an offensive behavior and training you to understand what it would feel like as that person so i think the direction is limitless where we go and where we're going to take all of the virtual reality uh technology isn't it it really is and um the example i used in the harvard b school article was with h&r block the the new crop of customer service representatives that are hired around tax time they're sort of thrown into having a lot of let's call them intense conversations with yeah. uh their customers right and they started using vr training and they ended up preferring that to even in-person training because they could just what you said practice stop it practice and be right in the situation with a you know do role playing with a with a customer gene let's shift into some lightning round questions i'd love to just ask you some questions and you share your top of mind answers and the first one is what are you most grateful for Ah, I'm most grateful for my family. You know, I always start with my family. I've um, married for um, a long time and I'm, you know, I, that that gives me just, it centers me and really reinforces the, the importance of work-life integration. So I am very thankful for my husband and, and daughters. What is the most difficult leadership lesson you've learned over your career? how to have difficult conversations, how to start them. And, and, and often you don't start them early enough. <laughs> so how to, um, how, how to be accountable in starting difficult conversations and carry through and do it with empathy, right? I think that, you know, I think what the pandemic has taught us is we've had sort of a look into all the lives and the you know, the living rooms and the dining rooms of all the people that we've worked with over the years. And, and I think we've under, we have a better understanding of what they have to deal with outside of work. Who is one person you would interview if you could, living or not? Malcolm Gladwell. I have read nearly all his books and he just moved close to my weekend house in the Berkshires. So I have, uh, I'm targeting Michael, Malcolm Gladwell. You, you might need to walk down the street and, you know, knock exactly. on the door. <laughs> right, exactly. Do you have a top book recommendation? Ah, that's good. I am reading Think Like a Monk at the moment and i am really enjoying it that is you know that's my top pick for right now and i'm also i just ordered frank bruni's uh, memoir which i'm uh, avidly read his op-ed columns in the new york times so that's sort of what i have in front of me at the moment what's the best piece of advice you've ever received the importance of communication skills in any relationship, being your starting with your family relationships, your parent relationships, uh, your work relationships. Um, I, I think frequent, you, you can't communicate enough. 
Um, and I think that I, you know, I think we all have to work on that. And that's, you know, that's been my best piece of, of advice. And what's the most important takeaway to leave with our listeners from our talk today? Well, one of the areas we didn't talk about that I think is coming and is going to be really very important is how does career management change post the pandemic? And I think that so many companies have preferred to buy versus build, right? As we've seen with so much um, job switching and individuals, if they do work remotely or hybrid, are really concerned about their own career advancement. So I think that team managers and leaders have to really begin to focus on a very open way and answering, you know, what does a successful career growth look like in the next 12 months or, or 18 months? And, and how do you do this successfully if you're not in a brick and mortar building? And, and I think that, you know, career management, we're going to, I believe we're going to be hearing a lot more about how to do that successfully as an employee and how leaders can shape, help their, their team members shape and grow their careers. It sounds like that kind of rounds out the entire employee experience category, doesn't it? It totally does. Yes. Well, Jean, thank you so much for coming on the show and bringing your wisdom to the Human Capital Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. And I look forward to continuing to partner with you in 2022. Thanks for listening to the show this week. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. Let me know what you thought of this episode by emailing humancapital at goalspan.com. Human Capital is produced by Goalspan. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And please share this podcast with your colleagues, team, or friends. Thanks for being human. Kind.